Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 5th day of August 2023. I'm your host, Mark Allen. How do we begin to wrap up a week like this one? Well, as often as the case, perhaps the best way to start is chronologically because we have to kind of build up to it. (laughs) But that still means there are a number of stories vying for the top spot. I guess you could say there were a number of elements of the war on, well, humanity as well vying for that top spot. But after taking a step back and trying to look at the bigger picture, this seems like the best way to introduce a whole flurry of contenders today. So we'll start with festering corruption erupting like a boil on the body politic. Jim Jordan of the House Judiciary Committee released another flurry of files over last weekend showing that the Biden regime was forcing two-faced book, which may not have taken as much pressure as you might have thought, to censor content relating to the COVID-1984 Zyklon B, not vaccines, including what employees there described as, (laughs) imagine this, true information. And no, it wasn't the first Biden regime pressure campaign to hide the truth and lie to the American people and in the process kill who knows how many millions of them. But I suspect they have an idea. So here's the latest damning smoking gun from the wannabe Fourth Reich. In July 2021, Facebook's head of global affairs asked why 2FB had been censoring the COVID lab leak theory. And the answer was clear. It says, quote, because we were under pressure from the administration. That would be, of course, the unelected fake administration. Everybody who's been paying attention knows here. And he added, we shouldn't have done it, unquote. Jordan suggested that Facebook knew blankety-blank and well it was removing humorous or satirical content that suggests the vaccine isn't safe, as well as, quote, true information about the side effects, unquote. Another employee said in another email, it also just seems like when the vaccination campaign isn't going as hoped, it's convenient for them to blame us. And another added, this seems like a political battle that's not fully grounded in facts, and it's frustrating, unquote. And uh, I think that's an understatement. Here's a sequence equally ignored by the waste stream that makes anything that came out during the Nixon regime and subsequent removal from office by resignation, because he had at least some integrity, pale by comparison. Devin Archer, infamous friend of Hunter, son of you-know-who, and uh, another gopher for the big guy involved in the bribery scheme and cover-up and, of course, sell-out of the United States to communist China, Ukraine, and others was due to testify on Capitol Hill before Congress, Monday, the final day of July. And the big question was, will it happen or will the Just Us Department stonewall again? Well, the way to bet is certainly on the latter, because that's what we've seen time and again. Over the weekend, Miranda Devine, author of the best-selling book Laptop from Hell, came out with this. The DOJ is trying to arrest Devin Archer. Hey, that's a great way to shut people up if you're a crooked regime. They're trying to arrest him ahead of his bombshell testimony Monday. She wrote about Joe Biden's involvement in his son Hunter's Ukraine business while he was VP and, of course, as we now know, selling out the United States. U.S. Attorney in the, what else, Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, issued a menacing letter on Saturday telling Judge Abrams to order Archer, go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go, and do not collect $200, and for crying out loud, you'd better not testify. That's what she said, go to jail immediately, to serve a one-year sentence, during which time you know what you're not going to hear. Come to think of it, though, Jeffrey Epstein, wherever he is, might hear it. But you know they're not going to come out and say that, so what's the reason the U.S. attorneys give? As a result of his fraud conviction. 
All right. Well, arguably, none of that is surprising, although it's just more bold than ever. Still, though, you've got to admire Florida Representative Matt Gates and what he came out and said as a result. Here's his tweet. The DOJ is now actively committing to crime. And this is no surprise, folks. We're used to it. The crime of obstructing a congressional investigation. And he added, if Devin Archer isn't in the witness chair Monday, we better haul every SOB at the DOJ before Congress every day to make them pay for this. LMK says, I'll come back to Washington tomorrow, that would be Monday, to do this. And he said, Archer is in that chair, or Garland is. Honestly, folks, if we still had a rule of law, I can think of another chair Garland ought to be sitting in. But maybe this time the pressure and exposure actually paid off. By Tuesday, though, and perhaps surprisingly, we could report this. Devin Archer, finally, at long last, and in spite of some expectations, actually did testify Monday before the House Committee investigating the big guy himself and, of course, all the criminality surrounding the rigged election and the wannabe Biden fewer. And basically what he said is basically the reason why the Department of Justice didn't want you to hear it, even though they did do it behind closed doors. The testimony is being called a smoking gun, but arguably that's an understatement. It's more like a smoking artillery barrage. The convicted Biden family business partner sang like a bird, said at least one story about it. Who knows, maybe he was upset at being the sacrificial lamb for the crime family. Not part of the bloodline, you know. On Monday, Archer told House investigators that Joe Biden met with Hunter's business clients numerous times, in spite of the fact that the scumbag himself lied directly to the American people and said, oh, no way did any such thing happen. He joined in the meetings over the phone, and the family was rewarded with, and we knew this already, tens of millions of dollars worth of bribes for influence peddling and other similar schemes involving arguably outright treason and a sellout of the once-free United States. Among other bombshells, he testified that the big guy himself met with Russia's Yelena Baturina, who later invested 40 million bucks into one of Hunter Biden's real estate ventures and also paid Hunter three and a half million bucks in consulting fees. And coincidentally, yeah, sure, the billionaire widow of the corrupt Moscow mayor was left off of Biden's infamous Russia, 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 except for some folks, sanctions list. And here's one you knew was coming. In spite of saying he never, ever did such a thing, Archer testified that Joe Biden was in on more than 20 phone calls with Hunter's various business associates (laughs) while he was serving as VP between 2009 and 2017. And he told lawmakers that the Biden brand helped Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma Holdings keep from going bankrupt. And they, in turn, kept him afloat and helped line the crime family's pockets. Heck, one story even said this isn't so much a bribe as it is just a bonus prize. They even gave Hunter a brand new $140,000 plus Porsche just to say thanks and to give our regards to the big guy. So in summary, as Marjorie Taylor Greene also put it, we all knew it. We've known it for a long time. Quote, Biden lied. Devin Archer just confirmed it. And I was going to spend some time putting together a montage of various Biden clips where he lied through his damnable teeth about how he never, ever talked about business with Hunter. There was not a scintilla of evidence. Well, we thought we got rid of it all, but I guess we did get rid of all the people. I should have listened to Hitler after all and so forth. But uh, she saved me a bunch of time. So here goes. No one's established that he did anything wrong. Or that I've done anything wrong. Period. He did not do a single thing wrong, as everybody's investigated. But look, uh, there is zero, 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 zero evidence of any assertion being made. You know there's not one single bit of evidence. Not one little tiny bit. 
to suggest anything dumb was wrong. There's not a scintilla of evidence that I did anything wrong. No one has produced one scintilla of evidence that I did anything other than do my job for America. I don't discuss business with my son. Have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas dealings. And I've never discussed what my son's business with him because I didn't want any conflict. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business yes, dealings? Yes, I stand by that statement. First of all, I, I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. I've never discussed my business or their business, my sons or daughters, and I've never discussed them. He's never taken a bribe. He's never helped rig an election. He's never committed treason either. One thing we could say that is absolutely true, though, he's never, ever honored that oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution either. But I guess in the best Clintonian sense, putting some real clear pressure on people to pony up the money or else isn't so much discussing business with Hunter as just uh, making them an offer they can't refuse. Oh, yeah, and one more bit of news from the Better Late Than Never files. On Monday nights, is another piece from TGP. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer told Greg Kelly that Speaker Kevin McCarthy called and they discussed steps now in impeachment following the explosive hearing. Given that bribery is among several that he's known to have committed at this point, that is, in fact, an impeachable offense. I'll tell you this, said the chairman, right before I came on the show, Speaker McCarthy called me and I gave him a rundown of what was said today. And we talked about steps moving forward. So he said, stay tuned. Oh, yeah. And he added this, quote, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. But we've known this for quite a while, too, folks. It's really, really hot where that snowball's headed. So without any shadow of a doubt, you know what was coming next, right? You can almost set your watch by it. Cue the flashbangs. Cue the smoke. Cue the distraction. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Donald Trump has not been indicted for the third time. Yeah, persecutor Jack Smith. The communist tool is added again. Four more bogus charges, but hey, who's counting? I guess they just hope they can select a jury gullible enough to make at least one of them stick. And these would be funny if they weren't so tragic. Conspiracy to defraud the occupation government and obstruct the bogus electoral count that they'd already obstructed and thought they could get away with and indeed so far have. And given that this is a nation where evil is called good, good is called evil, and lawlessness abounds, I can't help but suggest that what we're seeing here, if you think about it, is kind of an inverted voodoo doll. Every time there's another smoking gun, or worse, when it comes to the unelected Biden fewer, they stick another pin in Donald Trump. This time, of course, they panicked and pulled out half a cushion full. Speaking of which, and briefly now, it's time for our history ignoramus question of the week, courtesy of the blubbering buffoon Al Sharpton. On MSNBC, where else? One day, our children's children will read American history. And can you imagine our reading that James Madison or Thomas Jefferson tried to overthrow the government? They did overthrow a government, you blithering idiot. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at American history. No, you're not. And that's the problem. You don't have a clue about American history or even Soviet history, which is what we're seeing play out here. 
I guess you could say this is a related subject, but instead it comes from the better late than never files, way too late. From the Daily Mail, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky has sent an official criminal referral. Yeah, it's about time to the DOJ, and that's going to do a hell of a lot of good. Oh, yeah, right. Concerning the infamous evil American Dr. Mengele, Tony Fauci, saying that a 2020 email proves the former White House so-called doctor's COVID test line was, and here's his wording, absolutely a lie. This has to do with the whopping and turns out deadly big lie that he pushed for a long time, over a year, over the COVID-19 bioweapon and gain of function that his department and the American taxpayer, whether they knew it or not, funded, and whether or not it ended up coming from a roundabout chain of events, perhaps through Chapel Hill, North Carolina, maybe the Ukraine, but certainly Wuhan and a Chinese lab, to be the biggest bioweapon release against the world in history. After he dropped phase two, the not vaccine. And as you know or should know, Republican Senator Paul from Kentucky said that Fauci, age 82, committed perjury, among other things, when he testified in front of that Senate committee in 2021. And that's a crime that, if it was still prosecuted in once free America, should carry up to five years in prison. And of course, the real issue here, folks, is what follows after that, which should be, because he made war against the American people, among others, treason. And here's the money quote. He said this to Laura Ingram on Sunday. When Anthony Fauci came before my committee, he said absolutely he funded no gain-of-function research in China. We have email where he describes the research they're doing. They said, you know what? We're suspicious of the lab because we know they're doing a gain-of-function research. He describes the project, but everything he's been telling us from the very beginning has been a lie. We've documented it's a lie, and it's a felony to lie to Congress. I've referred him twice to the Attorney General of the United States, oh good grief, for prosecution. But as you know, this Attorney General is the most partisan AG we've ever had. And that, folks, is saying a whole lot. And it's good luck on getting him to do his job, said Paul. Of course, everybody knows, and so does Rand Paul, what his job really is. I call this a related story, and it's certainly also way too little, way too late. As the evidence for an impeachment inquiry, at minimum, says Tyler Durden for Zero Hedge, mounts against the unelected imposter president, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and co-host Ben Ferguson discuss the latest bombshell. 170 SARs, or suspicious activity reports, from six different banks over the past few years. This on their podcast with House Oversight Chairman James Comer of Kentucky. And as Comer emphasized, these are submitted, quote, very seldom, but town hall notes these SARs are submitted and sent to the Treasury Department when banks have a strong suspicion that a crime has been committed and it's about protecting the bank. And an SAR added Comer is kind of like inviting the regulators to come in and regulate, so that's the last thing banks want. Thus, 170 of them should be quite significant. Unless, of course, we're talking about crimes here that Big Brother wants to make sure stay covered up. Comer went into some detail, including a specific $3 million wire transfer from China to a Biden business partner, after which incremental payments were sent to a number of Biden shell companies and eventually distributed to various, four of them, different Biden family members. Asked Ted Cruz, so the communist Chinese government was sending the money? To which Comer replied, yes. Quote, if Hunter Biden was doing something legitimate for China, they could have just wired the money to Hunter Biden. But they didn't, he said. <laughs> they sent it through a, uh, they basically, and this is how your host will uh, rephrase it, send it through a chain of Chinese laundries. And added Comer, this is like organized crime. And all I can add to that, folks, is I wonder why he felt like he had to put the word like in there. From there, more things we've known or should have known. 
And in this case, it has to do with organized crime masquerading as science. And the Zero Hedge piece comes courtesy of the Daily Skeptics environmental editor, Chris Morrison. About the feverish headlines out of southern Europe last week concerning the heat wave, which they note would have been virtually impossible without humans altering the climate. Well, at least that's how the BBC puts it, quoting model-produced work rushed to press by WWA, World Weather Attribution. Yes, it's man-made, it's anthropogenic, and it's your carbon footprint, don't you know? Humans caused the spell of Mediterranean summer heat to be 2.5 degrees C higher, they said. And this latest so-called study, if you have enough money and you're the right kind of political persuasion, you too could probably buy it, confirms what we knew before, says frequent BBC contributor and WWA founder, Dr. Friedrich Otto. But more to the point, last week's coverage of these heat waves confirmed, says Zero Hedge, what we knew before. The BBC will pull out all the stops to promote weather fear. Booga, 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 it's hot, don't you know? In the cause of the collectivist Net Zero WEF Big Brother Run Science man-made global warming. So we're going to put the screws to you, Project. This is why you can't have nice things, folks. On Tuesday, July 18th, the BBC reported on its rolling news feed that the island of Sardinia was expected to see highs of 46 degrees C in the afternoon. And there are warnings that extreme heat, booga, 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 could continue for a further 10 days. Trouble is, there are things like time and date on the web which compile comprehensive records of past temperatures. It's an increasingly useful tool, says Zero Hedge, for checking up on the World on Fire fanaticists. And it also helps explain folks why they want to control information, and as Orwell noted, control history, too. And they basically have a graph that shows the temperature in Sardinia peaking at 40 degrees C on July 18th, and then steadily falling during the week into the lower 30s. Hot, but not the end of the world. Same thing goes for stories out of Rome and so forth. The European Space Agency also entered the scare fest, they note, and the BBC duly reported their booga, booga, booga findings. Trouble is, the European Space Agency has suddenly started using measurements from the ground rather than what they used to, which was conventional air temperature, because the ground is warmer. No comment required, although at this point, says the author, the arrival of the Monty Python colonel marching onto the set and declaring, stop it, stop it, this sketch is getting silly, badly written and too silly, just might be necessary. The story goes on and on, but the point is made. The BBC thinks its job well done. They're trying to scare people. They're succeeding. It's hotter than hell. Trouble is, it's just not that much hotter than it's been. And um, if you actually look at the numbers, it turns out, hey, it's summertime. Now, here, folks, your host has to note as well, you don't hear this much from the so-called science anymore when they've got an agenda to push. But there is something called the heat island effect. It's been noted by actual science for years, if not decades at this point. And it has to do with the fact that if you take a city and you pave everything and you build all kinds of steel reinforced concrete high rise buildings with lots of glass, guess what? You build up a real heat island, and it's noticeably hotter in the midst of all that concrete than it would have been, say, back when it was a farm field. Oh, yeah, and if you add in a lot of air conditioners, which didn't used to exist but certainly do nowadays, especially in the big cities, up until the Biden fuel cuts off the power, at least, for the peons. And what are they? They're heat pumps. They pump heat from inside those buildings to the outside. So the inside stays cooler, but the outside gets hotter still. And then we can read about it and say, oh, no, it's man-made, which arguably in this case it actually is, just not the way they're pushing. And ultimately it's mostly just the heat islands where lots of people live and read about it and get really, really scared about it, especially if they're gullible enough to believe it. 
and dumbed down enough not to think through the actual science, because they're not going to get told about that anyway. Besides, what really matters to them is only what they feel, not what the actual facts are, which they're not going to get told either. Zero Hedge and Statista's Anna Fleck report that, according to a new study by NGO Climate Central, 41 million Americans in 44 major cities habitually see outside air temperatures in their census tracts rise by an average of more than 8 degrees Fahrenheit above those in surrounding areas due to that heat island effect and the lack of vegetation in some of these densely populated areas. But wait, for 5.7 million Americans in some of the most studied areas, temperatures where they live exceeded non-city temperatures by more than 10 degrees Fahrenheit on average and as much as 12 degrees throughout much of New York City. Where over 7 million people or almost 80% of the inhabitants live in these heat islands. Concludes the piece, undoubtedly WWA leads the way in providing simple press-ready clickbait material, and its latest press release on the heat wave in Europe claims that it uses published peer-reviewed methods, but it does look like the peers have kind of an incestuous relationship one to another and also to various groups that, uh, to put it mildly, just might have a dog in the carbon control hunt. But as it turns out, yes, there is more. This one does come from RT, who isn't particularly interested in having to nuke America, although it looks like some in the regime are still saying, come on, we double-dog dare you. Among them, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who basically is coming out and saying, hey, nuclear war is not such a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's no worse than climate change. The subheading here says the U.S.'s top diplomat has claimed warmer temperatures are the number one existential threat to the world. Yeah, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain with a nuclear weapon. In an appearance on 60 Minutes Australia on Sunday, Blinken was asked whether nuclear war or climate change represented the, quote, greater threat to humanity. And you can guess, can't you, what this blithering idiot moron that wants so many people dead responded? Well, you can't, I think, have a hierarchy, he said. There are some things that are front and center, including potential conflict, but there's no doubt that climate represents an existential challenge to all of us. So for us, this is the existential challenge of our times, he said, adding, this doesn't mean that in the meantime there aren't severe challenges to the international order like Russia, Russia, Russia. This, folks, is what the United States has in lieu of leadership. But let's be real here, folks. We have a world to control and a climate boogeyman to sell. And if that doesn't hit home, let's see what else is even scarier and uh, isn't being talked about. From Zachary Stiber via the Epic Times, damage to the heart, says a new study, is more common than has been, well, previously admitted is the way your host will put it, after receipt of Moderna, in this case, and their COVID-19 so-called booster. Researchers found that one in 35 healthcare workers sick at a Swiss hospital showed signs of heart injury associated with the vaccine mRNA-1273. A greater incidence than estimated in meta-analysis of hospitalized cases with the very rare, at least once upon a time, myocarditis. This according to researchers in the paper published by the European Journal of Heart Failure. And this is about three times what it would be expected to be, 1% or so, in a generally healthy population. And folks, these are hospital workers, which you would think, well, up until at least they drank the Kool-Aid, might be even healthier than the general population. 
So don't be afraid of heart disease. Do take your poison poke. Don't be afraid of nuclear war. But, oh, for crying out loud, we have to control your thermostat and make darn sure that when we shut down the power grid, your electric car won't move either. Because climate change, booga booga booga, is really scary. It's an existential threat, don't you know? And the great god science, bought and paid for by Big Brother and his public-private partners, tells you so. And let me say it again because it's important. There is one final irony here, as Dane Wigington points out. The real menace is, in fact, geoengineering. In response to the non-existent man-made part having to do with your carbon footprint of global warming, oh yeah, we're going to push all kinds of things, including geoengineering and stratospheric aerosol injection and all kinds of crap that's going to destroy not only your bodies, but the ability of farmers to even grow food that will nourish those bodies. In other words, the real existential threat is the thing that's going to be sacrificed to the god of the fake existential threat. If that isn't quite clear enough... Just look in the mirror and remember your carbon. As to the implications of that and what it means for what they've got planned next, we'll pick it up right there when we get back after Bomb the Hour. Stay with us. Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. This is Mark Call, and we're going to start this one off with this story. Out of the Russian border near Ukraine, where the government has begun arming volunteer citizens, says the summary from Zero Hedge, in the Belgorod region, in order to enhance border security after the oblast along the border with Ukraine has come under frequent attack and invasion throughout the war. Gee, ponder the irony in that. Don't you wish the United States had a formerly communist government that was as inclined to protect its own borders and its own citizenry as those who they love to hate so much are? Then Russia doesn't even have a Second Amendment. Of course, neither does the United States anymore. Belgorod Regional Governor Vyacheslav Gladkov said the decision had been made to approve weaponry like automatic rifles, anti-drone guns, and military-enhanced SUVs. In other words, all kinds of things that the peons in once free America simply aren't allowed to have anymore. And unlike the billions and billions, and did I say billions of dollars of weapons that the United States has sent to Ukraine, and from there into the hands of arms dealers all over the place... It does sound like the Russians are at least exercising some measure of control, and uh, arguably Putin may not even be getting his big guy cut like some folks. Peskov was asked about government-issued weaponry falling into the wrong hands, and he said that all control mechanisms are being provided for and carefully implemented. And in fact, he said, there is no doubt that this is the case, unquote. And that almost sounds like a subtle dig at the Biden fuel, or at least those pulling his strings, doesn't it? You know what, folks? What do you bet they're not cutting the razor wire fences to let the invaders in, either? So then, on to some counterpoint from the anti-constitutional regime that has now occupied America. 
and continues to gang rape the Bill of Rights. Earlier this year, says a piece from Gun Owners of America, also via Zero Hedge, they reported on the Biden Fuhrer's announcement that he would be directing the anti-constitutional Department of Just Us to, quote, move the United States as close as possible to the incredible infringement called universal background checks without additional legislation. Hey, no point in doing what we know is illegal and calling it law when we know we're going to get away with it anyway. The move to govern by executive fiat, says the piece is loud and clear, ATF and DOJ will publish this new rule, Achtung, in the second half of 2024 with a proposal being released soon, according to a new report from the New York Times, which seems to have access to internal ATF policy, maybe because these same leftists are making both. Basically, what it says is they're rebranding private firearm sales. What that means is that there's nothing, even things that are constitutionally protected that are private in a tyrannical regime. And they're calling it the gun seller loophole instead, right? Freedom is a loophole, don't you know? In order to justify executive action, rather than even attempting to pass a new law, which anybody that has any understanding of the Constitution knows would not be any law at all. Other details about the rule in the New York Times include that anyone who makes a profit, in other words, engages in commerce, aha, gotcha, from selling firearms, perhaps as little as one fiat unconstitutional buck, is to be prohibited from selling their, what they thought were their, privately, but there's no such thing anymore, remember, owned firearms without a federal firearms license or the unconstitutional background check. According to the report, anti-gun organizations are pushing ATF to limit the number of firearms that a so-called private citizen may sell without having to have Big Brother's permission to even be a good slave. Currently, anti-gunners want to limit so-called collectors, and that's a new term as well, or sellers, to five guns or less, and an Obama, or now Biden era regulation, would have set that threshold at as few as one, maybe two if you're a really good little slave, gun sales per person. Failure to register, Achtung, as an FFL holder, will carry the usual penalties. Up to five years in the federal gulag, add a quarter million fiat buck fine. And they're clearly moving in this direction too, folks. Think about it. Since the only enforcement mechanism so far for the universal background checks are the unconstitutional ATF Form 4473s transformed by the regime into permanent gun registration forms. And if you don't have one of those, why, guess what? If so facto, that means you didn't get the gun legally. They'll take it. They'll throw you in jail. And uh, the rest, of course, is Nazi, communist, Pol Pot, you name it. It's a long, sordid history, folks of gun registration and confiscation now rhyming again. And, of course, anybody that's been paying attention knows that shall not be infringed absolutely prohibits so-called universal or, for that matter, any kind of background check. The legal term, by the way, from back when we had a rule of law was prior restraint. Not supposed to have that. And as you've probably seen, that no longer applies to speech or guns or religion or even the right to petition what's no longer your government anyway for a redress of grievances. Because you know blankety-blank and well, they're not about to redress anything. They're just going to double down more. Oh, yeah, and throw you in the gulag for even thinking you had a right to protest. We'll follow that up with one more quick story that shows you just how far down the toilet bowl the once-free United States has now gone. Illinois Governor Sick J.B. Pritzker, communist from you-know-where, last week signed into what laughably they call law but isn't a plan that allows foreign nationals, i.e. invaders, 
with work permits, some of whom, uh, probably most of whom will end up being illegal aliens, to become what they erroneously call police officers in the state, even though federal law currently forbids people who aren't natural born or naturalized U.S. citizens to serve as police officers or deputies. And this, after the People's Republic of California, where Gruesome Newsom likewise signed a bill into non-law last year, authorizing new invaders there to become cops and uh, arrest real American citizens. Representative Mary Miller of Illinois raged against the new not-law tweeting over the weekend that at 5 p.m. yesterday, when no one was paying any attention, Pritzker signed a bill to allow illegal immigrants to become police officers, giving non-citizens arrest power in our state, she said. No, sane state, and I guess that goes without saying, folks, but there are few of them left anymore, would allow foreign nationals to arrest their citizens. This is, yeah, you know it, madness, unquote. Oh, yeah, and she added this, either we address this border crisis or allow our country to descend even further into a leftist dystopia. Guess what the choice is they're going to mandate. And I'll follow that up with one more quick data point. There are estimates, and I think they're far better than the ones you're going to hear from Mayorkas and the Department of Illegal Immigration masquerading as Homeland Security, that at least 80,000, literally thousands per month on top of that coming in as well, Chinese Many of them, males and of military age, have already entered the once-free United States and are now being dispersed throughout the country. There's an invasion force for you. Imagine when they get themselves California, Illinois, and who knows what else, police officers' uniforms, to bust down doors, take guns, and complete the invasion. Well, there'll probably be some shots fired at that point, but not until the initial part of the invasion is, well, at this point, pretty much complete. I want to introduce where I intend to go next with just a couple of seconds, as much as we can stand anyway, of the most recent indictment by the traitorous Jack Smith of the actually elected president, Donald J. Trump. And here's what he had to say when he did the dirty deed again. Good evening. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. And here you'd have thought people claiming to work for the legitimate American government would know what form of government we had. Indeed, if they did, they would. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. Okay, okay, I can't stand too much more of this. We rigged it fair and square. How dare he even think that he could contest what we were doing almost in plain sight, even though it was in the middle of the night, and even though we kicked out the poll watchers, and even though we did so behind closed doors and with view blockers in the windows, and even though lots of dead people voted and others, and we photocopied ballots to make up for the shortfall in what we had pre-rigged, and you caught us. Well, you may have seen people showing up with the boxes of envelopes, too, but, uh, yeah, we couldn't hide that completely. Still, we control the press, so uh, what are you going to do about it? 
Okay, back to this insulting pile of you-know-what. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are heroes of the fatherland. They have defended the late revolution. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. Well, they're sure as hell better than Jack Smith anyway. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. All right, all right, all right. Shut the hell up, you lying sack of manure. They defended who we are as a people, a bunch of cowards who watched our country be stolen. We saw it, we knew it was going to happen, and we sat there like bumps on a log and let cretins like this not only get away with it and then rub your noses in it. Now they're punishing anybody who dared to suggest, hey, we saw what you did. Oh, you really think you did? Well, we're going to show you what happens when the victors take the spoils and kill anybody that dares to object. Folks, this is precisely what's happening. Let's not kid ourselves. And as we sit by quietly and watch it, I guess you could say Jack Smith is telling us exactly what we deserve and, yeah, what we're going to get, good and hard. That's what democracy is, right? Two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner and where the people get what they ask for, good and hard. Here it comes. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Not the nation you thought you grew up in, mind you. The new United States. America with a K. Since the attack on our capital, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment. And our investigation of other individuals continues. Remember, though, the real criminals are still sitting in the Oval Office. Hardy har. We don't have to investigate them. We're blocking everything of the sort. And they're getting away with it. Oh, yeah, and they're raking in the cash by the millions, too. Thank you, Communist China. Thank you, Burisma. Thank you, anybody that's willing to cross his palm for selling out a once free country. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial. We've got a deadline here. An election's coming up, and it needs to be pre-rigged way in advance so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. They'll be carefully selected, of course, to be just as idiotic as the dupes that brought this indictment. That's what voir dire is for, to make sure that anybody who has half a brain isn't allowed anywhere close to a jury box. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. And let's be clear here, folks. They must really think the American people are terminally stupid. William Brooks has a great piece up for the New York Times. It's been repeated a number of places, probably Lou Rockwell eventually, but certainly Zero Hedge for now. And he begins this way. In 1999, American climatologist, and I would add the infamous Michael Mann, first published the so-called hockey stick graph that purported to show an unprecedented spike in global temperatures over the past century. Mann's graph was featured in the 2001 report of the equally infamous IPCC, or Inter. 
Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Your host would add Science for Sale and was followed by the production of Al Gore's infamous apocalyptic climate film, or so it was called, An Inconvenient Truth, which turned out to be a big bogus lie. And that leads me to the rest of the introduction of uh, William Brooks' story, because basically what he does is a subdued and uh, perhaps a few punches pulled analysis of the bogus climate change narrative. But that seems to be part of his style, pulling his punches. These developments, he continued, led to a continuous series of doomsday predictions and arbitrary climate policies that seek to replace fossil fuels with alternative sources of energy. Now, here I have to add again, well, they tell you that they're going to replace them. The intent is not to replace them, folks. The intent is to get rid of them because they can't be replaced with alternative sources. They're intended to just run down. But not to worry, because the elite intends to run down the population as well, so they won't notice that much difference. But, continues Brooks, the presumed scientific consensus on cataclysmic climate change hasn't gone unchallenged. In 2005, Canadian researchers Steve McIntyre and Ross McKittrick raised serious doubts about the principal component analysis in Mr. Mann's hockey stick graph. In 2015, author Mark Stein published the work entitled A Disgrace to the Profession, which compiled the views of more than 100 world-class scientists who were also skeptical, to put it mildly, of man's research methods and the degree of public hysteria generated by his, as it turns out, bogus predictions. Last summer, American philosopher and energy expert Alan Epstein released his second book on the moral case for the use of fossil fuels. It was called Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil coal and natural gas, not less, and he argued that the looming so-called climate emergency and imminent renewable revolution have been, quote, enormously overstated. Mr. Epstein asserted that fossil fuels are still the main source of affordable energy in the world and that policies aimed at reducing the use of coal, oil, and gas are creating, as intended, your host notes, skyrocketing energy prices, which have already produced rampant inflation and killed folks who knows how many, but wait a minute, when they get their way far, far Far more will die in the future. He acknowledged that over the past 170 years, carbon dioxide or CO2 emissions have contributed to minor degrees, and that's at best, of warming, but their benefits have raised billions of people out of poverty. And if there was any significant increase in atmospheric CO2, it would have improved agricultural efficiency as well, largely due to adaptive measures made possible by fossil fuel-powered machines and technology. The world has become more livable, and mortality related to weather is at an all-time low. And he doesn't say it, I will. The same thing goes for food. According to Mr. Epstein's analysis, fossil fuels are, quote, a uniquely cost-effective source of energy. Cost-effective energy is essential to human flourishing. Billions of people are now suffering and dying for lack of cost-effective energy. He pointed out that wind and solar energy have been subsidized for decades, but fossil fuels are still required to produce at least 80% of the world's energy. And that is an incredibly important point. Writing this summer in a McDonnell-Laurier Institute, or MLI, publication, Mr. McKittrick pointed out that government policies focus almost entirely on reducing emissions, or mitigation as they call it, over the benefits of human adaptation. The University of Guelph professor and author of Economic Analyses of Environmental Policy has been studying climate change, climate policy, and environmental economics since the 1990s, and that's the same Mr. McKittrick who contributed to exposing man's hockey stick illusion more than a decade ago. 
And the MLI report notes that, quote, proponents of climate policy have long resisted discussing adaptation, perhaps out of fear, that it might be effective. If through adaptation we can substantially reduce or even eliminate the negative effects of climate change, that, folks, is presuming that they're even real. The climate change is real. The point I'm talking about is whether or not it's man-made as a result of carbon footprint as opposed to, say, uh, intentional geoengineering and similar kinds of uh, abominations being done whether you know it or not. Anyway, all of this would weaken the case for deep decarbonization, they note, and elimination of fossil fuels, which some in the climate movement view as an end in itself. And there it is. For those people who can't follow the fashionable green lifestyle, the legions of ordinary people, access to fossil fuels ends up being a matter of life or death. And the bottom line here is that radical anti-impact measures, at least anti-impact to uh, them, will destroy human flourishing, the author says. Ridding the world of fossil fuels is likely to leave scores of human beings poor, hungry, and destitute. And that's provided your host is compelled to interject at this point. They even manage to survive at all. After all that, we do need a bit of good news. This would arguably be great news, except for the fact that Big Brother almost certainly won't allow the peons to have it, any more than they want you to have a firearm or the right to freedom of speech. And you certainly haven't seen much in the way of cold fusion now, have you? There's been a lot of excitement, says the piece from Zero Hedge, though, on social media about claims concerning a new room temperature superconductor. Literally the holy grail of energy transfer that not only works at room temperature, but also under ambient pressure. And if these claims are true, it says the world literally would be transformed by this new type of superconductor opening applications that most people simply can't even dream of. On a par, or perhaps exceeding, even the invention of the transistor, last month, South Korean researchers, it says, published two new papers on what they claim is a groundbreaking achievement. The development of a superconductor that operates at room temperature and standard atmospheric pressure, which is a huge step forward because until now, all superconductors have required either extremely low temperatures and or high pressure to work, which significantly restricts their applications in the real world. This new superconductor utilizes a lead-based material that's been called LK99, and such a breakthrough would be a massive leap for more efficient energy transfer in just about every field you can imagine, and no doubt a number that don't even exist yet, but would, and that includes, at minimum, things like the development of better maglev trains. And honestly, folks, while that's not a bad thing, and it's the kind of thing that leftists would immediately gravitate towards, it's trivial compared to the real implications of what this thing would do. Said Nick Chang, analyst at Jeffrey's Financial Group, to clients, if LK99 proves to be true and able to be mass-produced, it would be a disruptive technology for a wide range of industries. And he added, cables could be made that transmit power without loss, saving energy, and advancements could be made in supercomputer chips, rail transport, medical imaging, and all kinds of things as well. Let me just add to that a bit, folks. If you've ever seen a superconducting magnet, which literally you set up a current, it produces a magnetic field, and it just lasts. The current continues to flow because there's no resistance. It flows forever. And you can make incredible magnets. These are the kind of things that are used for the superconducting supercollider. And now they have to be cooled to radically low temperatures, but that would no longer be the case. Imagine the applications of supermagnets that would enable, well, just about everything that has a motor in it or that uses magnetism in any way to be made cheaply and with extremely low power requirements. But that's not all. Those of us that have solar systems and have to run big, bulky, expensive copper wires 
Number 10 are even 4-aught copper wires to move power from solar panels to batteries to inverters. Might find that something the size of a human hair would do just as well. And you could run them for a lot further besides. But even that, your host suggests, putting on my engineering hat here, may be small-time thinking. I can picture a number of ways how you could build magnets to store energy in an electric field that would be far, far more efficient than any of the bulky, expensive, and, oh yeah, fire-prone lithium batteries that people are so hot to trot with today. And they'd last a hell of a lot longer to boot. This really is, or could be, a very big deal. And as you might suspect, Zero Hedge tells us that claims about the new superconductor technology were enough to send Korean and Chinese superconductor-related stocks into the stratosphere over the last several sessions. Engineer Andrew Coe tweeted a number of articles about the technology, one of which says that LBNL National Lab has reported results which support LK99 as a room temperature ambient pressure superconductor, and simulations published one hour ago on ArcSiv suggest that LK99 very well might be the holy grail of modern material science and applied physics. And he added, quote, this is insanely bullish for humanity. Another link said that on Tuesday, a team at the Huazhong University of Science and Technology in, uh-oh, Wuhan, China, claimed they too have replicated the LK99 material. And Science Magazine wrote that if true, this discovery would be one of the biggest ever in condensed matter physics and could usher in all sorts of technological marvels. This one's kind of interesting, folks. I take it with a grain of salt. The name of the material, LK99, is a cutting-edge ambient pressure room temperature superconductor, and it has both huge military, yeah, you could guess that, couldn't you, and civilian applications, and that's not even the best part, because you can make it in your oven at home, unquote, and uh, hey, if that's true, you better find it and download it from the web before somebody takes it off, because if Big Brother doesn't want to let you have cheap natural gas, you can imagine how they'll feel about this. And I can't help but note that the Zero Hedge piece is forced to end with the usual bit of skepticism. Some experts have also said that the Korean papers are, quote, short on detail and have left many physicists skeptical. And finally, folks, when it comes to wrapping all this up and connecting the obvious one or two dots, I want to add what I'm going to call one more easy razor, or think of it as another logical test we can apply to determine motivation. If, in fact, people who claim to care oh so much about green energy really are interested in benefit to all humanity, they will embrace room temperature, ambient pressure, superconductors with all the fervor of a mask wearer social distancing at a party. After all, it does what they claim they want, even beyond their wildest dreams, with no real downside. On the other hand, if they decide they, for whatever reason, don't want you to have this technology, it tells you all you need to know about the real motivation. Again, folks, it's not like we haven't been seeing this. It's just that at this point, it's impossible to deny, and we might as well get used to being clear about it because, as we've seen, it really is a matter of life and death, and certainly blessing or cursing as well. If you don't know your rights, you don't have any. And we've heard this too, but it still fits. If you won't stand up for what you believe, you'll fall for anything. Are we there yet? <laughs>